0: conversation with people about really our last two Sunday's messages. And I I wanted to, um, so I've added on this, actually we're starting a new series today, we're going to delay that a week because of the questions and really positive questions, good questions um, that I have had. I felt like there was more meat on that bone that needed to be addressed. the last, uh, really, week before last, we talked about uh, money. And you have kind of two kinds of churches, one of them that love to talk about money and and churches that really aren't very comfortable talking about money because it's it's a sore topic for so many people. Uh, and so we fall into that second category. We really don't talk about money that much. Our Our challenge with that is that In the life that we are called into in this world, when we look at what we've been looking at in the series about being stewards of time, uh, of our talents, our skills, our gifts, and if we can begin to recognize the scripture paints a very different picture of you and I than we often get out of the world, even though we we know how to operate in it. What God says, what the scripture says about you and I is we were created uniquely. We were created as an individual, and that we really do reflect and we are the image bearer of God Himself. And God says He created us with a purpose, there's a reason you exist. There's a reason I am here. And it's a good reason. It is a reason that's associated with the very nature and the purpose of God, where He's going with humanity. That you uh, and I are created with gifts and talents, Um, we are created with opportunity. And what the scripture says is you were created with a measure of time, your life has a clock. It's a very real clock. Some people have just a little bit of time. Some people have really a lot of years. But whatever our time is, that is the time that we are called to be all that God created us to be and empowered us to be. <clears throat> the, the problem with that in this life and where we can get really lost is that along the way, we develop our own desires, our own dreams, our own hopes that aren't necessarily aligned with God. Many times, they aren't. And we, and we know in this world, after so much time, that it takes money to do anything. It takes money. Uh, money can buy comfort. It can buy toys. It can buy co- uh, lifestyle. It can buy friends, whether they're good friends or real friends is not the point. You can surround yourself with people. It can buy buy girls. It can buy guys. Uh, It can buy favors and influence. We learn at a fairly early age, money can do a lot of things. And it can make a lot of problems go away. What is a harder lesson to learn is that money wants to be in charge. And so this message is uh, find your treasure, you will find your heart. Um, Money wants to be your God. In Luke 16... Chapter I mean uh, verse uh, 13. It says, "No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other." And then and then the author unfolds or reveals what he's really talking about. You can't serve God in wealth. Now I like the term wealth over money. Some of us would say, "I don't want to be wealthy. I want to be comfortable," or "I'm not looking to be really rich." I'd like to pay my bills and get by. And that one sounds much more humble. But it isn't necessarily. Um, And so I want to review a few things here before we get to a part that's really going to be where I want to focus us today. And, And the truth is if you don't have, if you're not aware, if you can't get your arms around the fact that your life is important, the clock is ticking, and and you are in charge of you, all that you are, you're in charge, and if you're whatever your age is, most everybody in here, we are of an age that we already are aware. I'm aware that maybe. I'm smart compared to others, or I'm uh, witty compared to others. I'm charming compared to others. I'm good looking compared to others. I'm wealthy compared to others. I am popular compared to others. And I, I want you to understand, you're responsible for all of those things. All of those things are in play. If you have charm, and we have some people here who are charming people, we use that to do a lot of things. We use that to make friends. We use that to smooth over uh, something that we didn't do that we said we would. We use that to, to better where we're at you know that's a tool God gave you? Most of us use it for us. I use it to fix my problem, my issue. I use it to walk into a room and get influence. I use it to get a job on a job interview. We use our looks the same way. For those of us who are blessed with what the world calls good looks or what the world calls physique, you know, like mine, you are That is now a tool that you use to get where you want to go. And what God says is, that tool is my tool, and I put it in you, because I will use it for my glory. Do you you see the problem with everything we are? Is it feels like it's ours to better us, and God says, it's mine. And I want to use it to reveal myself to the world and to people. I don't want to use it to make your life better. And he's saying, is that okay with you? Is it okay if we use the things I put in you in a way that the world is a better place? You see, it's a very big shift. And so when we begin to look at our lives that way, and we, and then God begins to teach us. And first He says, "You know, the desire for wealth will try to become your God. It's going to try to be the God of your life, the one that you're always on the quest to achieve. That's, that's all. It, it it's not about bowing to your wallet. I'm going to bow to my wallet. It is about It's the one you think about. It is the, my precious. It is the thing. Even though you may not use that language, it's going to make everything better in your life. Freedom from the love of money. Hebrews 13. I want us to see this. Make sure that your character, it's mentioning our character here. Do you see what God's saying? I want to talk to you about your character. Make sure that it's free from the love of money. When you love money, she will use you. Being content with what you have. We are never taught in the environment that we live in to be content with what we have. We are taught to not be content with what we have. We are, are by our very nature, there are two spheres that we work in. One is the one immediately around us. That's the sphere I live in. And then the sphere that I wished I lived in. You know, I rent a 60-year-old apartment or 50-year-old apartment. I wished I lived in a place that was not that. That's the sphere I want to be in. This is the one I'm in. I remember there was a time when I was, um, oh, gosh, how do you say this nicely? Um, I was just so above all my friends. I, I felt like I hung out with just people who were socially challenged. And I remember... Sitting with this group one time, and I think, what am I doing here? It's the land of misfits. And What does that say about me, right? They probably were thinking the same thing about me. <clears throat> what am I doing here? You see, when we are in that sphere, and I can see the beautiful people, and that's where I'm trying to get to. See, so we have two spheres. One I'm in, and the one I'm trying to get to. And and the author is saying, you know, if you don't learn to be content where you are, you're in for a very difficult life because you're going to want what you don't have. You're going to spend your time working on how you can get what you don't have or be who you are not. You're going to work hard. And then when that season struggles, even if you get there and something happens that doesn't go well, and life is full of seasons that change, and what God says is, contentment is not about your circumstances, it's about your heart and your treasure. So his lessons are, careful, the love of money, the pursuit of wealth, are are a trap for you. They will rob you being content. Be content in your circumstances. In that he says, I will never leave you. I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. Why? So that you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. He is my money. He is my wealth. He is the one that looks after me. I will not be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of man. Riches is a trap. We also learned that to be faithful in what we have been given to work with. As I counsel people, I counsel on relationships and money. Those are the two things. That's 95% of my dialogue with humanity. Relationships that are gone south, most of them, and money that has gone somewhere or goes anywhere but to me. Luke 16, same place. He who is faithful in the very little things is faithful also in the much. He who is unrighteous in very little things is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you are not faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you? with true riches. If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is others, who will give you that which is your own? You see, the scripture goes on to train us. Train in the small things. If your job is a minimum wage job, are you doing it well? I mean, is it beneath you? Are you surrounded by people at Taco Bell wondering, what am I doing here? The scripture would say, be faithful with that minimum wage job. Be faithful. Be faithful with what you've been given to do. It's training you here. Do you see that? It's saying, here's how you need to approach this. It's a minimum wage. Don't be fooled. If they raise your salary to 100,000 a year, your attitude will not be different. See, we think money will make a attitude better, don't we? We think that if I make 100,000, I will be a satisfied person. And the scripture's saying it is not true. You won't. Be content. Let your attitude be at the lowest level when you are ignored, when you are overlooked, be content and do it with all your might. Be someone who lives that way. I'm going to bring that up again in a minute. Uh, I say it this way. And this is trustworthiness in you. If you don't do it when you're poor, you won't do it when you're rich. If you won't use a small amount of your time to follow God, you won't use a larger amount of time to follow. If you won't sacrificially give with little, you will not sacrificially give when you're well off. If you don't have a lot of money, it's training time. If you you want God to bless you financially... Learn how he does money. He is, he is serious about money. This is about contentment again. This is Paul speaking. I am not saying that because I am in need. I'm not saying this. He was talking to them about giving. About uh, because I am in need. For I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances. I want you to see this. He didn't just get it. He didn't say, Jesus, come into my heart. And all of a sudden, he was content with things. He had to learn this. He had to learn to be content. You know, we're, we're pretty rough creatures. We have to learn all of these things. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've known both sides. You see, the key is not to try to stay in one versus the other. The key is for neither one of them to control you. Does that make sense? The key is that having a lot will not change you and control you. And having nothing will not change you and control you. That is arriving. Because if you can't get there, then you are always weak you are always vulnerable to your circumstances and they will own you they will own your soul they'll tell you when to be happy they'll tell you when to be sad they'll tell you when to be dissatisfied with your spouse they will tell you all of these things and make demands upon you your circumstances will try to be your god So you see, in our lives, it kind of turns out like this. My circumstances are making these demands. And it's telling me how to live, how to feel, what to think, how to view you, how to view myself. And money says, I can fix your circumstances. Pursue me, and this is subdued, this is conquered. You see... Your circumstances want to rule your life, tell you how to feel, how to think, where to live, what to think about yourself and others. And money says, no, let me tell you how to think, how to feel, how to view others. Let me decide your moral code. No, let me decide your moral code. And God says, your circumstances and money are warring to be your God. They want to be your God. They want to tell you how to think, how to live, where to go, who to like, who to hate. And God says, both of these want my job. And they will demand my job. If you want to walk with me, we're going to subdue these two. And they're not going to tell you how to feel. And when you're broke, they're not going to tell you to feel bad about you or to make a victim out of you. We are going to subdue them. Contentment, very important. This is the only place where God says, test me. It's where God says, I'll take the test on this one. In Malachi 3, bring your full tithe into the temple treasury so there will be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself uh, to you and pour out blessings upon your wildest dreams. Test me. You see, when we put God in charge of our life, then we make it a place where God can be extravagant in his own giving. He says he will defend against marauders, protect your wheat fields, your vegetable gardens against plunder. This is the message of the God of the angel armies. I like this out of the message. You will be voted the happiest nation. You will experience what it's like to be a country of grace. So here's the thing. I have really not met too many people that said... uh, You know, I really need to learn about money. When I hear that, it's usually from a place of great crisis. We're not born, necessarily, all of us, with an ability and a wisdom toward money. We would like to think we are. I think everybody wants to think at some level You know, they can make their own decisions. They can figure out money. Yeah, I can keep a checkbook. Um, You know, when we get a credit card and we never necessarily think, wow, I really need to be careful with this. this. This could get away from me. I think we think we got a credit card. There's some financial freedom here. But a credit card is not about financial freedom at all. It's about terms. So here's the deal. God has plenty to say about your finances. And so this is a little bit of a boot camp here. But that boot camp is really designed to help you see some things about you. And so it begins with training. And the first thing God does, last week I said, God trains, he's training us in the tithe. God can teach you so many things using money. I mean, it is amazing. The first thing he does is he trains us in character. It's true. Most of us, when we come to Christ, we are not necessarily great people of character. Some of us are liars. Some of us are greedy. Some of us are are lustful. Some of us are angry. Some of us are violent. Uh, Some of us are lots of different things, and maybe you have, you know, more than one of those. Or maybe things fall away from you. So here's what I want us to see. He trains in character. He will train your wiring. You have wiring. We're going to talk about your wiring. You have strengths, you have weaknesses, you have talents. We don't throw away our weaknesses and lean into our strengths. We don't throw away our strengths and lean into our weaknesses. We let God develop and train them. We're here to be trained, not to be shut down. We're here to be trained by God. He will train all of those areas. Because untrained, we're just all over the place. Some people figure out money. Many of us don't. Old habits. God says, stop trusting your old habits. We began this series with really looking at the year. Do you want this year to be different? You won't do it with last year's habits, you'll be pretty much the same. Don't trust your old habits. God's going to be replacing habits, he's going to replace idols, he wants to replace circumstances, he wants to replace money, he wants to replace your your need and demand for popularity, he he wants to replace uh, the way you need affirmation, he wants to replace all those things where you are seeking to get your needs met. He wants to replace your greed. He wants to replace your fear and your frustration. He wants to replace them. He wants to replace your anxiety. He'll do it by training you. He trains a lot of those things out of us. How does he train our character? First, he will train you in obedience. How many people like the word obedience? My hand is not up either. Yeah, you want the kids to obey you. Yes. I like that obedience when it goes this way. Um, You know, if I could just get you people to do whatever, be obedient. um, Most of us, I think it's almost like fingernails on a chalkboard, isn't it? Like obedience. That's like a dog word, isn't it? We're going to send them to obedience school. You know, obedience, when it comes to God, it's more like this. I want you to do what I've told you is going to work. And the reason I want you to do that is because it will work for you. We begin to take this risk on I'm going to do it I'm going to do it because God said it was a good thing to do And I'm just going to do it because of that You know Peter, we have a story in the scripture Peter was in a boat With his buds and and they were fishermen They're pros, they do this for a living And all night long They're fishing, they come up with nothing You know, it's a tough Night And so You know, daybreak is coming, and Jesus is on the shore, and this is Jesus' statement. Pete, drop the net on the other side of the boat. Really? I mean, really? All night long. And and that's what he brings to the table. The other side. Here's what Peter says. I have been fishing all night long. I'm going to translate that for you. I'm a professional fisherman who knows exactly what to do. I know these waters like the back of my hand. I know everything there is to know about fishing here. You're a carpenter. But because you said to do it, I'm going to do it. That's obedience. Because I trust there's something in you. I'm going to do it. Lowers the net on the other side. So many fish, it's breaking the net. And they have to call other boats over to help them haul this in. That's obedience. You don't have to necessarily see the logic of it. There's no logic. That side of the boat, that side of the boat. This is not like the Titanic. This is a boat, you know. This is this wide and probably five times this long. So if the current is right, the net will be in the same place. You see, it's obedience. And that's what it sounds like and that's what it looks like. I'm going to do it because of who you are. That's obedience. The scripture gives us a lot of things to follow. Some of them you'll like, some of them you won't. Some of them you might really make sense to you, some of them don't. God says, I want you to go with me on this. And then he'll begin to speak to you in your heart, in your mind. And he's going to want you to go with it. We're going to have a message on that in a few minutes. He wants to build trust in you. Now, trust is the next step after obedience. Obedience is, I'm doing it because you said to do it. And trust, finally, is that next level where you're doing it because he said to do it and I trust him. I trust it's going to turn out well. I'm going to drop the net on the other side, and I expect a lot of good things to happen. You see the next step? I trust it's going to turn out good for me because I was obedient. Do you know how much anxiety that takes off of you? How much tension and stress when you are not just obedient, but you come to the place where you trust that following him is going to turn out good for you. It's going to be good for you. He trains us in patience, waiting. Do you know how many parables and verses there are on waiting? You know, the owner gives somebody something to do, and then he leaves town forever. I don't know if he's coming back. But you were given something to do. But if he's not coming back, then there's not a reason really to keep doing it. I mean, when I was a kid, if my parents said, we're going away for the summer, we want you to mow the grass every week, you're going to be gone like the whole summer? Really? Sure, I'll mow every week. No problem. And like the day before they're coming back, I'll be out there with a rented mower about this tall, trying to get that grass down. Oh, my gosh. I'm cutting it's all yellow at the bottom. Do you think they'll notice? That's what Jesus, those are the examples he gives. Like, Wow, they've been gone a long time. I think they must have died on the road somewhere. I mean, maybe they got, you know, kidnapped by pirates or something. I don't want to keep doing this forever. If they don't come back, I'm going to be doing it forever. Like forever. You know, the scripture would say, waiting teaches you so many things that you don't want to do. Waiting. Waiting. I'll die waiting. Some of you are terrible at waiting. You know, your mind works. If a freeway is backed up, you get off at the exit so you can get back on at the entrance there because you get around some of these cars and some waiting. Because waiting is evil. But God says, no, you're evil. You see... Waiting works it out of you. Waiting. Not only is waiting okay, one of the primary ways that we are changed. It's one of the ways he slows us down. I'm going to get some surgery to help with my back. And uh, Melinda and I went to the doctor uh, Friday. Uh, He... Kind of worked us in, and uh, you know, so you know, it's kind of talk about when do we want to do this. And my thought was, how about this afternoon? <laughs> I got the time. What, what do you got? Uh, you know, do I need to pull my shirt off? Or are we are we ready to go here? I was, I am ready. You know, no, we're gonna wait. And we're going to talk to the insurance company and we're going to talk to the cardiologist and we're going to talk to everybody. Yeah, we're going to wait. And we don't know how long that's going to go. We're going to get to wait. I don't like to wait. I'm not a great waiter. Um, You'll find change in the wait, you'll find you've changed. If you let God cheat you in the waiting Kindness Contrary to what many of us think about ourselves Probably most of us aren't that kind We're kind to kind people We're kind to nice people Sometimes we're kind to older people Sometimes we're kind to babies Some of us secretly aren't kind to any of those It's a baby It's a loud baby I like old people, but they need to never drive because I don't like being behind them because I have to wait, and I'm a kind person. See, that's, that's the kindness that is subject to our circumstances and people, but there's a kindness, and it will, you will see it in money, you will see the kindness. He trains our character in self-control, another term that many of us are not always totally comfortable with, self-control. Think about if you don't have self-control, think about what you have. There's not even a real word for that, is there? I am uncontrolled. How about this? I'm really not able to control myself, or how about this one? I'm out of control. Somebody walked to you, so you out of control? It's a good question, isn't it? Are you in control of your body? Are you in control of your, your tongue, what you're saying to people? Are you in control of your money? Self-control is a powerful thing. And contentment, which we already talked about. What can make your life satisfying or dissatisfying? Contentment is about being satisfied with your life. Many of us go our whole life and we are never satisfied. The church is not different. The church is full of people who don't have any control. They're not satisfied with their life. They struggle with their circumstances, telling them who they are, what they are, what they're not, what they will never be, that they can't get a break, that everybody gets the break but them. And then money, which is saying, if you'll just go get more of me, I can deal with these guys. The church is full of people, unfortunately, who never really run their race. Scripture says you have a race to run. But most of the time, we never really break stride. So, here's what we're going to do. If we could pass out. I don't want people to pass out, but we're going to pass out a handout and uh, and some pins, I believe. Uh, anybody that wants one, uh, well, just go ahead and take one, and if you don't want it, you can color on it. This is where I had a lot of questions, so this is a clinic, for lack of another term. And uh, I think we have pins that we'll be handing out to people. We're gonna, and you you're really, you know—are not too young to look, to have one of these. I mean, if you're two, but if you can read, there's nothing high-level here. Your financial wiring. Here's what I—here's what I normally find. People kind of fall into three different categories. You can be a spender, a saver, or an investor. Uh, And I just have a few definitions here. Spender, one who often sees things they want or need and will try to figure out how to buy them. Uh, They can usually justify the purchase, even if the money is supposed to be for something else. So the mind is saying, oh, man, I sure wish I had that, or that's cool, or, you know, gosh, man, I wonder if I can get that next payday, or maybe I could put this off and do this. Uh, maybe I can do this and this. We're working hard to make the buy. And here's what normally happens. People who are spenders feel good in the buy. They get that thing. They're telling other people about it. They like to show it off. It might be the new toy, the new thing. Um, And so these people don't hear this as a negative thing. These people aren't bad people. This isn't a bad trait. So if you say, wow, sucks, I'm a spender. Um, All of us spend, right? All of us spend on different things. All right. The next group, saver. They feel better when they're buying the thing they want You feel better to hold on to your money. It just makes you feel better. Uh, You might even feel some guilt or some anxiousness when you're spending monies, even though they're available. And you feel like savings is always the better road. It's always the high road. Now, I realize some of you may look and go, yeah, that sounds good to me, or the other one sounds good to me. It's really not about what sounds good to you. It's about kind of how you tend to operate. That's, it's an honesty thing. And then the third one is investor. You feel better when you're engaging in a way uh, to make a better return on money you have. You, you, the idea of just having an hourly wage or a paycheck is not interesting. There are other things you would like to do creatively with that, You believe there are ways to get ahead beyond the wage you earn. Uh, Likes and believes, and people are typically hopeful that someday they're going to be in the right place at the right time for the right deal that's going to change their financial position. Hope kind of springs eternal with these folks. All right, so here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, You've got there at the bottom. Uh, You know, how do you feel good? And so I'd like for you to put a number um, like if probably your primary one, because you might be, you're probably a little bit oldies. Your number one thing might be whatever one is, and then, and then pick the one you've probably least you, and then the leftover one is number two, one, two, and three. And this is, this is really gonna help you understand the, the role money has with you. This wiring, again, this is just wiring, it's not bad. It's not bad. It just is it. I identify where you find your feel good. Now, what I've put below these is kind of the weakness that tends to come with that particular wiring. Remember, God is here to fix wiring. It doesn't mean you stop spending. You really need to be all three of these. But there's brokenness with all three of these. So spenders tend to be impulsive. They get captured by the ad, by the sale, by the latest thing that comes out. They tend to get captured, and they can be impulsive in that. They tend to lack self-control. And I'm, I'm just saying, when, you know, when it's operating at full, full strength, um, And they tend to sacrifice some of the long-term for the short-term. There's often a little bit of an issue with obedience, and patience is usually not their friend. You know, so the idea of saying... um, I'll give you an example. I was going to put um, $1,000 into my truck repaint it clean it up and um, I put a thousand dollars into it all right but it it was for maintenance so I need to put that to next year Uh, truck runs fine I know you might look at it in the parking lot and go I really wish he would have spent a thousand to make that thing look better but the truth is, that, that piece of the budget needs to go out a year. Now, next year, I might have a $1,000 worth of repairs to do, and it might need to go in the next year. You know, I'm, o- I'm okay with that. We're, I, I, I've, I put about, I've budgeted in my head about $1,200 a year in maintenance for the truck. If I get a year it's, you know, pretty close to $200, I get a free paint job. So that's what it looks like to be patient. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to communicate to you I am patient. All right. I'm just saying that's what it would look like. These are, and and there are strengths under Spender. So, So don't hear that there are only weaknesses. There are strengths and weaknesses in savers. In savers, trust is a big issue. Uh, it can be not, not always but it can be It can be where uh, We have a lot of trust in what the money Can do It can get us out of a jam It's there for the rainy day If something goes wrong um, You know it, it's, it's there and there's some wisdom In it being there But it can bring more trust In our nest egg Than should be there um, Savers. Tend to be less generous. Now, these are generalities. So, if you're a saver and you go, I'm generous, I would say, I believe you. I'm just saying there tends to be less generosity. Where their obedience struggle can come is if God wants you to do something with your money that doesn't seem very thrifty and wise, uh, He might do that. Um, an example I have given before is the Houston Vineyard saved up in their building fund $10,000 to purchase a building. But then they heard about a pastor whose who's, uh, church burned down. And one of the elders said, I, I think we should give our $10,000 to them. So they all prayed about it, talked to the church about it, and they agreed to give away their $10,000. So now they had zero. They'd saved money and now for a building to pay cash for the building and now they had zero. And let's face it, both churches needed a church building. So what weighed one church need for a church building greater than the other church's need for a church building? And if you take that one step further, there will always be somebody in need of a building. We will never build ours if we do this on an ongoing basis. That's not the point. The point is the obedience. If you feel like God said that, then that's what you need to do. You need to be obedient and trust that good things will happen for you. And so within a year, uh, they got a building that they had already been turned down for, uh, and they actually, God told them to put in a lower price. They put in a lower price. Not only did the guy give the building to them, but he, or sell it to them, but he gave them a, another building and the land free of charge to go with it. And then he decided he would carry the note at a very low interest rate. All that happened because they had zero money in the bank. You see how following God is not always logical? It's not, it's not always, you know... Put the net on the other side of the boat. And then uh, they often can sacrifice short-term for the long-term. The third one is the investor. Investors can be impulsive. When you see Microsoft dips down to, you know, X number for share, and you go, I got to get in on that. And so you, you know mortgage everything away and buy Microsoft and then you go tell your spouse who's not pleased in marriages I often find that you have a saver and an investor married or a spender and a saver married it can be a little creepy you know those are tend to conflict In the investor you know greed is often a player can just get a little too greedy. Um, patience can be an issue. Trust and obedience can be weak spots for the investor. So you've got a one, you should have a one or a two or a three over each one of these. And, and here's, so here's what I want you to know I want you to know now you have a good idea of the things God is working on in you. I'm not saying they're not doing well in them. I'm saying these are areas that God can easily work on just because of your wiring. Now, if you're, let's say, um, a one in spender, um, you're a two in investor, you're a three in saver. And what I want you to know is, there's some of these that are in the same ones, isn't there, in all three of them, like obedience. You'll, we have to work hard to be obedient. We have to build that in. Next, I want you to look at your second page, skills and experience. Some of you have never created a budget. Probably, and uh, and you may think you know how, but you're not sure you know how. None of these things are necessarily just born into us. All right. So here you've got the W is for weakness and the S is for strength. So there's two things: is it a skill for you? Is it the way you're wired to budget and plan? Then you could lean more towards the skill set, the W. But maybe you really think, yeah, I believe this way and I can do it, but I don't. Then your experience would be over towards the S. All right? You can do this with determining, so budget and planning. What really just means um, coming up with an idea of how you would spend your money. Another thing that a lot of people don't do is really determine what they earn and what they spend. I'll sit down with people sometimes to look at these things because they're a financial crisis. And then we'll look at it and say, well, you spend about $300 more a month than you make. So that's why I'm struggling. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's set up to fail there. You will come out of this year at worse than you came into this year. A lot of people just don't know. Sometimes that's because we're buying things and just not aware. And other times, we really are. Our expenses are just in a high place. Are you good at doing this experience? Do you do this? Plot down your strength and weakness. This is my favorite right here, taking care of details. What do I mean by that? Do you pay your car insurance on time? Do you normally pay bills on time? Do you get your inspection sticker before it expires? Do you get your tags on your car before they expire? When your driver's license expires, do you take care of that or do you drive for three months with it expired? When you have a gift card that's good for a year, does it expire before you use it? You know, if you have a rebate, have you never sent one in? Are there things that you could benefit from, but you just won't do the paperwork to do it? Medicare, child care, the list goes on. You know who you are. IRS. You know, you know who you are. You, it's not that you don't know how to do these. That may, may be a skill you have. Um, but you get busy with life or non-life, anti-life. You do something else and you're, you're not there. Uh, if we could. God offers you a new financial reality. Um, Do we have an extra one of these things? Yeah. Is that an extra? Okay. I'm, I'm good. Thank you. I don't know that I put the other one on a slide. I might. Um, I I needed a copy of the bottom. Uh, Are you generous? A lot of people are generous, but they don't follow through on generosity. They think about, oh, we should help them. Oh, I should do this. But we never quite follow through on that generosity. These are places God wants to help us. So, at the bottom, I want to share with you strategies and goals. Get help where you have weak spots. Don't go it alone. Find find some help and, and you're on a quest to find someone who's going to help you in those weak spots, and I'll just tell you, for me, you know, taking care of details, that's my arch enemy. And my wife, she's a powerhouse right there. Um, find, find people to help you succeed. I don't want you to feel guilty or ashamed. I want you to know God is training us. And one of those things is there's a humility to go to somebody and say, can you sit down with me and talk through details with me, and then I want to write down all the details I need to take care of, and then why don't you call me every day and make sure I'm doing that or help me do some of them. You know, get some help. Get somebody to help you cross these lines. Because if we were going to cross them alone, we already would have. God has called us to walk together. Develop a budget, a plan. Give a tenth of your money to the church. Let it go. This is the part where God says, bring it it into the church. That way you you don't get anything from it, okay? Then the church has money to help people. The church has money to invest in people. We have ways of taking care of things. This is what God says. Let it go. Trust me. Deal with debt. Get somebody to talk with you about it. Train your generosity. I cannot express to you enough, I think generosity is a critical thing that the church and every member needs to be really, really good at. I see a lot of untrained generosity in the church. I'm not talking about necessarily here, I'm talking about in the church. Um, Untrained generosity can look like this. Um, I'm going to give that girl a really good tip today I feel generous of course she's drop dead gorgeous but what if it were a dude you know well I'm a little short so he's going to get a little short honesty in your generosity how about like this Uh, This is one I'm actually very familiar with. I got $460 back from the IRS, and there was this person in need, and uh, I gave it all to them. That sounds great. That sounds like a nice testimony. However, what I know and what other people in the room knew is this person owes everybody in the room. They're being generous with money that is not theirs. That's not generosity. All right? For me to lend somebody else's car is not generosity. For me to give away something that is not mine is not generosity. Generosity is when I sacrifice for someone else. It's when I go without something for someone else. That's, that's generosity. It's when I choose to bless someone else, and, and I pay the expense of that. My parents don't. My landlord doesn't. But I do. Uh, I have a... Um, I have a, uh, a testimony here. This is Donna, for those of you who may not know her. Um, I'd really love for her, because you're going to hear a lot of these things in action. Uh, the story from the grocery store?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I work at Family Dollar, and I've been switching stores a lot, so I'm seeing a whole bunch of different people. Um, Friday night, I was mopping the floors, and I kept seeing this elderly woman crying. She was um, counting...
0: The one at the grocery store first.
1: About her counting her change?
0: N- no, the one that was in line oh, in front of okay. you. Oh, okay. It's great when you have so many stories <laughs> that I'm having to correct her on which story I want.
1: Okay. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I was in Kroger standing in line. Pretty decent line. Um, there was a woman standing there, um, had baby, two babies in tow. Um, she had all her groceries in line, and I kept wondering how come people were getting so aggravated and agitated, cussing, just trying to rush this woman along in the cashier. Um, I didn't think anything of it. I was sitting there on my phone, and all of a sudden, it just kept getting louder, and I felt my body move from my position, immediately put my phone down, moved to the side, and I gravitated towards the woman. I wanted to know what was going on. At least I thought I did. <laughs> I go up and she's upset. She's crying. She's doesn't have enough money for her food, her groceries, her diapers. It. We that week were struggling to get parts for Cody's vehicle. We had no money. I had thirty dollars on me. That's all. And that was to try to get his part for his for his jeep. Um. The woman's bill was twenty-seven dollars, and without even thinking, just I, was, I, I gave it to her. I said, "Here, take it, pay for it." And of course, she was, "No, I can't do that." And I'm like, "No, I, 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 I want to. This is something that God is telling me I need to do." So I pay for her bill, and the people behind me they're just standing there looking at me, and I thought, you know, if. I didn't touch the woman that was there. I was working on the people that were in line that were screaming and yelling and cussing and fussing over her.
0: Having to wait.
1: Having to wait because she had no money. So that was my giving. That I, I, it was something that God was doing. It was not <clears throat> me.
0: So you had to put your groceries back.
1: I put my groceries back. I went in, had some bread, milk, blah, blah, blah. That I put everything back and gave her the money
0: so the Lord urges her that's what it's like need to stay there. the Lord urges her and and so she responds to the Lord the Lord wants her to give away her money that she's buying her stuff with and help this stranger and in that moment God is in play not just with the lady but also with the people that are standing, watching, and listening. God is in play. It's his stage. It's his. And he is demonstrating generosity. True generosity, the world will take notice because it is a component that is pretty foreign in everyday life. Bill Gates may give a billion dollars, The people who get the billion care, the others don't. But when you give 20 bucks at a grocery store to somebody in need, everybody who sees will know because they know you're not Bill Gates. Also, God was on stage with her. God was training her, teaching her obedience, Trust, patience, all these things are at work in her. She did not come away empty-handed. God didn't come away empty-handed. Everybody left better than they walked in. It was God's show. That's what it looks like. That's what generosity looks like. Continue.
1: So... Do you want me to start with my job or just the, gro- the lady in the store?
0: Um, in the interest of time, we're going to go with the grocery store.
1: Okay, so Friday night, um, there was a little woman, elderly woman, uh, walking through the store. I worked for Family Dollar, and she had cat food and she had groceries. She was crying, distraught, counting her change, trying to add up everything that was in her grocery, and I kept watching her because I was mopping the floor. Every aisle, she would go back, <coughs> if I get this, I have to. I have to put this back. If I do this, my cats won't eat. This is my food. And I just kept watching the struggle that she was going through. She gets up to the register, and she tells Charisse, uh, my cashier, that says, I cannot go over $9. And in her basket, she had every bit of about $20 worth of cat food and regular food. And she says, I cannot. That's all I had. And she has a bag of change. Um, I'm sitting at the kiosk and uh, doing some paperwork, and I look over, and she's immediately just crying again. And Charissa told her it was $18.90-something cents. And she goes, I need to get my cat food. I'll put all my groceries back. And immediately again, I just stepped up, walked over there, and I said, no, you're going to get everything tonight. She goes, I don't have the money. I said, it's okay. I've got it. And I paid for her groceries. She gives me a hug and a kiss, and she goes, why did you do that? And I said, because that's what God wants us to do. Maybe one day you'll be able to do it for somebody else. She leaves, and 30 minutes before closing time, I get a phone call from her. She's sobbing on the phone, and she's saying, I want to thank you for what you've done. She goes, because the $9 that I had in my bag, I'm able to make my church ties this week. So she took the money that she had in her bag to give back to God. Because I was able to give her, what I had, and she says I've never, she goes I, I've never had that happen. Charisse, my cashier, was in awe and says, "It is amazing to see God working His magic and His His wonders through you." She goes, "It's something you don't see every day," and she kept going on and going on. But for me, it was. It, it was God doing all the work. I was, she said, I mm-hmm. wanted to give you that $9. And I said, no, ma'am. I said, you continue with your church tithes. I said, give it to God. That's, that's, that's all I could ask. So, Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: When, we, when God can get it out of our hand or our bank account, he can also put it there. He can safely park it in your hands. If he knows, he can safely move it from your hands. This is how God works. But this is not really the story of the church. This is not our story most of the time. So generosity will change the world. Churches will spend thousands of dollars doing evangelism. They'll hand out bottles of water to people who already have a bottle of water. They'll they'll do all kinds of things. But you cannot buy the blessing for people. It was eighteen bucks. Eighteen dollars. The church is never able to buy that for any amount of money. But we we will listen and operate with God. Your generosity will be powerful in the world. I hope you use these tools. If you would stand, please. <clears throat> this is about knowing where God is working in your life, He's tearing down the strongholds of your circumstances. The stronghold that money can have. He wants to bless you financially. It's a true statement. I'm not saying he wants to make you rich. I'm saying he wants to bless you in your life financially. And he wants you to be a blessing to the rest of the world. If I could have prayer team people mm <clears throat>